everyone. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. It's great having the kids in the service. Kids, can you give a little shout out? Wow. All right. We can tell you're paying attention. I heard uh, you had an amazing uh, Father's Day service. Uh, was that last week, right? A lot going on. <laughs> I knew it was last week, but it feels like three weeks ago. But uh, I heard it was a great uh, parent-child combo all through the service and really special and uh, very emotional and sentimental and powerful and everything else. But I just want to say great job to all those who uh, participated in that. Uh, Steve said he cried at the end of service when Jay was up here with uh, Johnson Four, and uh, but he cries every service. So Hebrews chapter ten, uh, kids, if you're in the service, you're probably wondering why do I have to be here. Uh, I just want we wanted you to know what we do when we go in this big room, what's happening, and how excited we are about the Word of God and about worshiping God. And that following God isn't just a kid thing or a grown-up thing, it's a life thing. And uh, today I'm going to be talking actually about something, kids, I think you don't really like but later will appreciate called discipline. And um, I think you'll get something out of it. Hopefully, if nothing else, that was all you got out of it right there, discipline. You heard the word. But we've been doing a Bible study over the last four weeks. We're completing it today out of the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you remember, we uh, did a few chapters, and then today I'm going to uh, refer to chapter 10. We're going to look at a few verses here uh, in chapter 10, and then one and two in chapter 11, and then we're going to do a study. We're going to focus eight verses uh, in chapter uh, 12. But the whole pretext and context of Hebrews is that it was Christians wearing out and get, wanting to give up, and if not give up, wanting to shrink back and hold back. And that's kind of where all, many of us are. As we get older, it's easier just to kind of lean back, sit back, shrink back, fade back, whatever you want to say, and just go through the motions of Christianity rather than living by faith through every stage of life. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, if you could turn over there, in verse 14, the title of today is He Opens the Way. And, you know, Jesus is uh, the... He's the one that opens access to God for us. And as we know in the studies we've done, uh, before they had to go through the high priest, and you'd have to go to the high priest, and then the high priest would go to God. And we learned that Jesus became our high priest. That as we take him on in baptism, as we go to God, he goes right with us. And now we have full access. And it says in Hebrews 10, verse 14, by one, for by one sacrifice, referring to the high priest having to go year after year after year and keep having to offer sacrifices. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is kind of cool because the passage here talks about two things. One things it talks, one of the things it talks about is that when someone's born again, when they receive the blood of Jesus at baptism, through their faith, through their repentance, they receive that gift. That their the deal is sealed forever. That even though we don't go right to heaven, we have a confidence and assurance that we need reminding about. 
That's why we hear the word preach. That's why we need to get in the Bible ourselves. That's why we need encouragement. We need to be reminded. But he says that right there, that one act that Jesus made on the cross, made us perfect, complete, assured forever. But then it says right there in the second part, it made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So it's saying we're being made perfect forever, future tense, present tense. But we're also being made holy, present tense. That it's a process. And what you see through the book of Hebrews is you see God exchanging or interchanging, excuse me, these words. Mature. Complete. And purple. And they all kind of mean the same thing. And so God, while we're on this earth, is completing us. You said, I was already made perfect. What's lacking? He's still developing us spiritually. Part of it's for us to get to heaven. Part of it's for our children to get to heaven. And part of it is just for people that we influence to get to heaven. But He is molding and shaping us every breath that we take on this earth when we're in tune with Him. And he's making us holy. Hebrews 10, verse 38. This passage is referring to Habakkuk chapter 2, where the prophet Habakkuk is told by God, God says, I am sending the Babylonians. Imagine how Nazi Germany, how the Germans, in just a few years, literally conquered all of Europe. And in some cases, days, some of the countries. That would be the picture. Imagine being those people in those countries, and the Germans just come right through your country and take over. Days, weeks. That's kind of what was happening where God says, I'm doing that. I'm going to send the Babylonians and they are going to tear up the country. They're going to dominate. And Habakkuk is struggling. He's asking God, why? And he's complaining. He's got a, two or three complaints there in the book of Habakkuk. And that's where this passage comes from because the Christians were struggling. Why is my life hard, God, when I follow Christ? And so he quotes the Hebrew writer trying to encourage the Christians of that day and trying to encourage us in this day. Says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And what he was telling Habakkuk, Habakkuk, this is the answer you take to the people. As they're wondering why and how long is this going to go on, you tell them, my righteous one will live by faith. You know, the Christian life is a by faith life. From the time you decide to study the Bible, from the time you decide to follow Jesus, from the time you decide to trust, put your trust in Him and obey Him, from the time you decide to get baptism, get baptized, and literally every day, it's a decision of faith. And when we stop walking by faith, we spiritually start to regress, and we, in a kind of an insidious way, we start to die. That there is a part of our Christian life that we have to constantly be stretched in order to make, be made holy. God says, and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. Hebrews chapter 11. If you turn over there, verse 32. And then we're going to jump into our text here in a moment in chapter 12. You know, 17 times in the... Uh, uh, book of Hebrews in chapter 11, he uses the word by the words by faith. That all these great men and women, by faith Moses' parents did this, and then by faith Moses did that. By faith Abel did this, and by faith Enoch did that, and he just goes through Joseph and Abraham, and 
all these different people. And he says, this is what they did by faith. And I want to commend you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I want to commend you for living by faith, and I want to charge you to continue to live by faith. As you have hardship come down your road, rather than shrinking back or muttering or getting discouraged, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, just grab the wheel and say, all right, here I go by faith. That is a mindset. He says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. About David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, look what they did. Conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. And whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Verse 39, these were all commended, not just these, but the whole chapter plus all the nameless people. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. And here again, you see this picture. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made. Again, it's a process. So the writer is saying, hey, you remember those guys from a long time ago? God was working on them. And he's saying, you know what we're going through? God is working on us. So the ancients, the people of old, of faith, and us, together we're going through something that's making us perfect, complete, mature, whole in faith. You know, it's interesting. When I looked at all these characters, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, every one of them has some pretty intense hardship. Every one of them has some pretty intense failure. But I love how the Hebrew writer didn't focus on that. He focused more on who they were and what they overcame by faith. Gideon, first thing we think about, how insecure he was, and a little bit wimpy. Barak, first thing we think about, how insecure he was, I was a little bit wimpy. David, first thing we think about, committed adultery, committed murder. I mean, you know what I'm saying? All these guys, Samson, wow, he was a real challenge. But when God looks at them, the fact they hung on, hung on by faith, God goes, they're heroes. And every one of us has got some scars and some warts and some sides of us. We go, yeah, a little bit wimpy, a little bit lame right here. And God says, not how I see you, though. You grab hold by faith, and we're going to go forward, and we're going to do something. You know, I liked uh, economics in college. It made sense to me. I only took two classes in it, so maybe it wouldn't have after the 100 and 200 level. But I learned something in a huge auditorium like this as an 18-year-old. I forget the teacher's name, but he was funny. He said, Ton Stoffel. I'm like, what the heck is Ton Stoffel? And he you know, put the acronym out there. He said, it's an acronym. There's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> yeah, I remember it many, many decades later. But his whole point was, nothing is free. Even to get the free lunch, you've got to decide to give up the time to walk over to get the lunch when you could be doing something else. You gave up opportunity costs, time. You gave up eating with somebody else. You gave up eating somewhere else. That everything has a cost. And I think we love the fact that Jesus opened the way for us. That he made this path for us. We love that. 
And no, there's nothing we can do to work hard enough to earn salvation. To be good enough. He did that for us. But we've got to partner with him if our faith is going to ignite. It doesn't, it's not just given to us. It's not just a one-time deal. We have to partner with him to stay on the path. Look at this quote right here. It says, there's more to us than we know. If we can be made to see it, perhaps for the rest of our lives, we'd be unwilling to settle for less. You know, I'm so proud of Danielle. Danielle um, comes back today. She's been out in the woods of Maine canoeing, backpacking, and hiking uh, for two weeks. No shower, no deodorant, no bathrooms, no running water. This will kill you. No internet or cell phone. I bet her thumbs are just like that. What do I do? She's so used to just texting all the time and checking something. I mean, think about it. She's going to have to relearn the whole skill. But, but I'm so proud of her because she volunteered to go in this course that was hard. The purpose of it was deprivation and teaching endurance. And just like the founder of the program said, I want to stretch teenagers to see how much they can really do. And what she knew is, you know, um, I had all the staff come up with a prayer acronym. Like, you pray for things throughout the year, but you always forget what you prayed about for yourself by the you know, second month of the year. So I had them all come up with a prayer acronym of what they wanted to grow in. So Danielle asked her to come up with one, and her first two letters was toughness and healthy. And so I found this program. God gave it to me. I told her. She goes, Dad, I want to do it because I do want to get tougher emotionally and physically, and I want to get healthier. And I'm so proud of her because I know it was hard. Portaging, six hours a day, canoeing, hiking, uh, the woods, the dark, 24 to 40 hours, they leave you alone in the woods, just with you and your thoughts and all the critters, just to teach you there's more in you than you realize. There's a lot more you can endure and withstand. And until we're stretched beyond what we've ever experienced or felt or seen, we don't really realize how much we really can do. It's the same thing spiritually. And I know she told a lot of the teens about it, and a lot of them are like, What? in that to get tougher and I think in the same way people look at Christianity and they say why would you do that why would you deny yourself that and for those of us that are in a spirit of denial right now in a certain area we're like, Man, this is too much remember you're doing it for Jesus not to earn your salvation but to connect more with God and to be made holy and to be made perfect you know when God looks at the earth I don't know how he does it. My little mind can't comprehend it. But seven billion people. He feels what that quote said about every human being. And there's more to you than you know. If you would just find Jesus, if you would just obey Jesus, if you would just submit to Jesus, there is more to you than you realize. And if you can be made to see it, see it, the rest of your life, maybe you would settle for nothing less. Isn't that God's draw? Isn't that what Jesus puts forth? I want to help you. I want to partner with you. I want to work with you. I want to bring the best out of you. That's the Christian life. And that's how God feels as he looks in every human heart. He has such high ideals for them. You know, Philippians 1 verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. Thank you. 
Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. We don't mind the believing in him. That doesn't take much energy, cost. But to suffer for him? I don't like suffering necessarily, nor does anyone. But the Bible say, says it's part of the deal. It's part of the Christian life. And I think this is what separates even often a true disciple from someone that just attends church. A true disciple from someone that doesn't let people in their life. A true disciple from someone that just goes, hey, I just want to go to heaven. I just want the insurance policy in my pocket. And I want ointment every week and a little bit of honey to feel better about myself. Now, when you follow Christ, then you've got to be tough. You've got to be a man or woman of courage. You've got to say no to certain things and yes to others. And every time you do it, it's a little bit challenging. But when you do it, it's incredible what God does. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to jump right in our text and we're going to give you some practicals. Look at this quote I found. One of the reasons why mature people stop growing and learning is that they become less and less willing to risk failure. Now, everybody, when I said mature people, they thought that would be me. That would be me. Okay, I say it probably would be you. But are you growing? You're in control, not of what happens around you, but you're in control of whether you grow or not. You know, I realized at different low moments that parenting was causing me to sin, right? No. It wasn't causing anything except my deep heart to come to the surface. Pride, harshness, disrespect, impatience, pettiness. See, in you, yeah, and in you too. Marriage does it, and parenting does it. So if you're not married, not parenting, you know, don't worry. God still brings you to the surface. He's got all kinds of pleasant tools to help us be made holy, perfect, and complete. I'm just saying, it's brought all kinds of things. In my weak moments, I want to blame, man, if these kids, you know, I just kind of, and then I have to realize, wait, wait, wait. No, it's you. You choose how you respond to every situation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. Let's turn there. We're going to look at these eight verses. And I'm going to give you some practicals on how to open the way. And here's the one point I want you to take away today. Write it down. He opens the way for all willing to take that path. He opens the way for all who are willing to take that path. You say, which path? Your path. When? Every day. Just different paths have different slopes and challenges. Say, I don't want to take that path. That's your choice. But the Bible does promise God won't give us more than we can handle, and he'll always provide a way out when we're tempted. And he promises that he's with us all the way to the end. And so we have to, our part is, do I keep following Jesus? And that's the whole premise of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 to 9. He's building up Jesus, the writer, so they don't give up. Hebrews chapter 10, it's the pivot chapter, he t- where the whole book starts to pivot. And he says, so don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. 
That, that's chapter 10. Then chapter 11, he builds up all the heroes of faith. Not all of them, but a lot of them. He says, look at your heroes. Look at what they've done by faith. And then he gets to chapter 12. He goes, now let's talk about you. Your response to hardship and difficulty. He says in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. What a powerful passage. See, Jesus opens the way for us, but we've got to take this path. And when I bring up the word discipline, it brings different things to our mind. There's the discipline where you're going off course... And God says, I'm going to discipline you. This is going to hurt. You're not going to like it. You could get sour. You could pout. You can do whatever you want. But my whole intention is to protect, preserve, and keep you safe. So it's going to hurt more than if you go off the road. A whole lot more. Kind of like those guardrails that you see all dented up. It hurt the car to hit the guardrail. They have to come in and rip them out and put in new ones with the same strength of steel again. But it would have hurt a whole lot more if there was no guardrail. And off the cliff they went. For a second, it would have been like, woo! No, not really. But it would have felt like that. And then, that's it. So I'll take the guardrails. Then there's the other discipline of being tough, strong, ordered, organized. Things work. Why? You've built it. You've got a routine. There's strength there. So there's two types of discipline we need both to make it. How do we do this? How do we take this path? Here's four practicals for you. Number one, you've got to have a balanced attitude. You have to have a balanced attitude. 
It is hard to have a balanced attitude. What does the Bible say? Don't lose heart. Don't make light. Sometimes God is giving us one of the two disciplines and we get super discouraged. It's natural. It's normal. It just doesn't take you to good places. And it's not living by faith. It's where we all want to go, some more than others, but it's not living by faith. And it's not going to take us along that path that Jesus set forth for us. And so he's saying, be balanced. How do you get balanced? Well, just like this scale right there, you put a little bit on this side and it kind of moves it this way. You take a little off and it moves it that way. And you, you kind of kind of add it to it and take away to get it balanced. It's hard. It doesn't just happen. He says, don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. It's part of me making you holy. Making sure, as Peter says, your faith is genuine. He says, on the other hand, don't make light of it. God's over there trying to get you stronger or He's giving you some discipline in your life right now. And He says, don't make light of it. Don't blow them off. Don't just not pay attention to it. Don't just blame the circumstance. Take this hardship, He says. Endure it as discipline. Going, you know what? I don't like it but I'm going to get stronger from it. I'm going to be more effective for people through it. Balance. You know, I woke up this morning to pray and I just had a lot of sadness on my heart. I I went on Disciples Today and Jeff Balsam, 57 years old, elder in the Chicago church, three great kids, he passed away 7.30 Chicago time this morning. He wasn't a close friend of mine, but a close friend of my close friends. And I heard him speak I was um, with his son-in-law this last weekend in Dallas. You know, what a great man. 58 years old. Went to be with the Lord this morning. I felt sad even though I'm removed from the situation. Because as a father, I hurt for his three kids. I was praying about his, about his wife today. I don't know her, but I was just thinking about what Michelle would feel. and felt sad. You know, I visited my mom last week in Chicago. I hadn't seen her since August of last year. And I just, we had a great time. Had a lot of prayer walks together, but... She's getting older and there's a sadness there. Can you relate? Of just aging and then going away. She's a disciple. I'm grateful she's a disciple. But seeing her, you know, eight kids, Holocaust survivor, so tough, losing her independence, needing people to do more things, and then grieving from those things and losing her, you know, my dad four years ago, made me sad. Just the thought of, wow, God, it's happening. I know it's supposed to happen. She's a disciple. It's all awesome. But it makes me sad. I was uh, with Anthony on Friday, Galang, having discipling time. And he told me one of his good friends had a stroke three or four days ago. One of the elders in the church in Cincinnati. And when he said the name, I said, he was one of my best friends in college. He was in my wedding. He was my roommate. His daughter had just graduated high school two weeks ago. Got an 18-year-old and a 14-year-old. It's healthy, fit, not overweight. Obviously, didn't drink and smoke. Wouldn't be a very good elder at that. And God just says, "No, let's go." And he had a stroke. 43 years old. Went to the hospital for about 24 hours. His breathing went in ICU, and he went brain dead. They took him off once all the family came in off life support. I think on Friday or Saturday. And I haven't talked to Marston in a long time, but I had so many good memories of laughter, joy, joking around. 
That's my age. You know, I mean, it just kind of made me sad. And then I thought about Marina, and I thought about the two kids. And, and I just, you know, talking to God, I'm like, God, how do you do this? How do you stay happy when you feel sad? How do you, you know, you, know, you get, and people text me stuff, and it, this person's doing, going through this and feeling that, and it's just burning, like, whoa, it makes me sad. And yet I know that God created life, and I know that God made life that we wouldn't get too comfortable in this life and be yearning towards the next life, that we'd keep stretching towards the next life, and that God wants me to have a balanced view, to not lose heart in these things, to feel sad but not lose heart, to look bigger and more eternal. I don't know what you're going through, but you've got to have a balanced attitude. You know, it says, this guy said once, in his providence, God knows how much joy and sorrow, how much pleasure and pain, how much prosperity and poverty is proper for his child. He knows the correct balance of sunshine and storm, the precise mixture, mixture of darkness and light that it takes to perfect the sun. He knows. And I want to encourage the teens, you guys staying strong through high school, stay genuine. Keep going. Don't live a double life. And literally, in just months, no one's going to remember you from high school practically. I'm sorry to break that to you, but they're not even going to think about you. They're going to start a whole new life in college. And then those people won't think about them either. It's just, what right now feels like your whole world and so real and everything. Keep holding on. Keep being genuine. Keep saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And be balanced. Don't lose heart when you're discouraged and going through tough times. Stay balanced. And don't make light when God makes things tough so that you can depend on Him. Proper perspective. You know, he goes on talking about having a proper perspective. And in verse 7, he says to endure hardship as discipline. We've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. We've all seen kids that haven't had human fathers or have had parents that won't discipline them. You want to, at Target, go discipline that kid. You wouldn't do it, but there's at first you're like, man, that kid's out of control. Then you look again and you're like, oh my gosh, he's pushing his parents. You ever seen that? <laughs> stop it, stop, stop it. I, my kids were little. We left to many of a store. Many of a store. Do you know what I'm saying? We walked on out. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't because there was no sales. It's because we had some business to take care of. And it was more important than shopping. It was shopping for different goods. And we didn't do everything right, and we're still not even doing everything close, you know, nearly right. But we're trying our best. And I want to commend the parents that are trying hard to discipline their children. It has, it will, and it has and it will pay off. But I think as adults, grown-up minds, how do you take discipline? Do you have a proper perspective towards discipline? Look at this quote I found. Our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Isn't that what good discipling does for us, having godly people in our life? Is someone that can inspire us and give us the 
proper perspective when things aren't pleasant. And give us the long-range view. It's hard to see things when we're in the midst of it. But that's why they have the telescope. Because when you're on the ship and you're kind of going, is there land? Is there danger? Is there an end to this? The ocean's so vast. You take out the little telescope and you look around and it gives you from this point, you can't see it with the naked eye, but with the telescope, you go, okay, I see where we're going. I see what we're doing. And that's what we need. We need that kind of proper perspective from the Scriptures. We need it from one another. We need God's Spirit to speak to us. We need to be people that are constantly seeking input for our perspective. Why? Because our thinking gets really circular. And when times are painful, it's hard to be trained. And I love verse 11. I don't like... You know, I don't like pain in the sense of, but I like the harvest of righteousness. And the Bible says God disciplines us for our good so we can share in His holiness. You know, about three or four weeks ago, I got really angry with my kids and uh, sinned, snapped. Didn't throw anything or cuss or anything like that. Don't worry. But even if I did, you'd forgive me. I hope. God would. But I didn't. But I was really mad. You ever been there, parents? Like, no, not like mad, really mad. And you say, what was it about? The problem is I don't remember. I just knew I was mad. And I remember, you know, I just feeling pushed. And, and um, it was the end of the day, and I was sitting down to eat dinner, and the kids were going, come on, Dad, be cheerful, be joke. Come on, Dad, lighten up. Come on, I agape you, Dad, come on. And I was just so mad. I'm like, you will not encourage me. I didn't say it. I just sat there and... Like an old grumpy man, I just like had this big bowl. I don't even know what I was eating. I was sitting over the bowl. I'm going to be angry and you can't get me out of it. And it's just so pathetic. Pitiful. I was just like, just eating out of my bowl. Stuff. My big bowl. That would... And I just thought to myself, how petty. Where's your self-control? I needed some perspective at that moment. I need God. So do you. You have your moments where you're huddling over your bowl. Go, no one's going to encourage me. I'm mad and I'm going to stay mad and I'm going to enjoy being mad. I deserve to be mad for a little while. It's so pathetic. But we've got to take a different approach to hardship. We've got to be trained by it. You know, I appreciate Mike Halo. I talked to Mike out there. And um, I said, hey, Mike, great to see you. He goes, yeah, I haven't been here in a few weeks. I've been really sick with this challenge and that challenge and this challenge. And I said, well, bro, great being here today. Thanks for being here. And I hope you get some encouragement out of today and the sermon and everything. He goes, yeah, me too, but I more hope that I get to encourage others. I thought, that's pretty cool. That here's a guy going through a lot of chronic pain right now and chronic medical difficulties, which creates a lot of sadness and depression. Right? And him saying to me, I'm like, well, that's a, I'm going to put that in my notes, but in these notes. I hope I get to be an encouragement to others. So Mike, even though he doesn't feel good, has the proper perspective of, if I'm going to really be where I need to be, I can't just come to church to take. I've got to be an encouragement to others. I've got to give others the proper perspective. You know, it was said once by someone that a calm sea does not produce a skilled sailor. 
None of us would want to go out on a ship, a three-day fishing ship, deep-sea fishing. Hey, so tell me about the captain there. He looks a little young. Yeah, he's 17. He just finished his Boy Scout Maritime Merit Badge. And, uh, but he's got so many sailing pictures on his wall. And he's a good swimmer, too. Let me tell you. He's got the coolest model boats. His dad's made so many with him. And this is his maiden voyage. I mean, there's a party that would... What? Babyface is taking me out under the ocean? I mean, I know things can happen. I mean, we want to be the skilled sailor. But it's not the calm sea that brings it. You know, fitness. He talks about spiritual fitness. Where's your spiritual fitness today? Do you know, in the ministry, we have something that you can get dismissed for. It's called spiritual fitness. You go, how, what is that? How do you define that? Well, in our policy, people can be dismissed, let go, if they don't have spiritual fitness. Now, I know some of you that don't like your minister, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. I got all kinds of things just listed out. Man, let me tell you, nobody's seen it, but I'm gonna, I will help you out. Okay, well, that's another sermon for you another time. But the point is, if you're going to lead people spiritually, don't have to be perfect. It's not no one but Jesus. But you've got to keep growing. You've got to be humble. You've got to take input. And you've got to be spiritually fit. And, and there's a lot of grace. And there's time. And there's patience. And there's help. But do you know what I'm saying? You know, there's some doctors. They get to a point where they say, you know what? You can still doctor away, but just not in surgery. Your hand is not stable enough. We can't, you can teach, you can advise, but I'll hold the scalpel. You know, there's a, there's a fitness required. And I think in the same way, we have to have spiritual fitness. It doesn't just come. It takes work to have spiritual fitness. If we want to go along that path, that open way that Jesus made for us, we got to pick up the spiritual weights. You know, I've got to be around Kevin Maines in the last three to four weeks a lot more because we're going to be combining our two regions to make a geo-region. Still going to have our two regions, but we're going to work together more closely in pairings all throughout the L.A. church. The eight regions are going to pair with another region and combine energies and efforts with the singles and the campus and the teens and the marriage and leadership training, staffing, and just kind of think, how can, what can we do more together than apart? And just being around Kevin, not just even him saying, Marco, this is what you need to do. I already feel called higher and have been implementing and imitating his prayer life and his walk with God. Not perfectly. I'm not as strong, as strong, but I'm like convicted. He spends two hours every day in prayer and Bible study. You go, well, he's a minister. He should. You try it. There's a lot going on in your mind. There's a lot to do. There's, you know, it's not like just we're sitting around praying all the time. But I appreciate his discipline to go, I need God that much. Now, is it one hour and 59 minutes? It's unholy. No, that's not the point. The point is that kind of devotion to keep growing, to keep inputting, to keep filling. I go, man, that ah, calls me higher. You know, it's amazing what we'll do to be fit. You know, today, uh, or I'm training to do a triathlon, first one, and Tony Kettering told me, Marco, you've got to swim three days a week, and we have this little pool, old pool in our condominium complex so this morning i went to go swim for 30 minutes and there was a rat in the pool and it was still alive 
So I had a dilemma. I had a dilemma. I only had about 32 minutes to make the decision and get in the pool to get my 30-minute workout. I had about two minutes. And I don't like rats at all, nor do you. So I took my, I'm like, okay, doggone it, I could go run, but I don't have time. i got to get my, so I took my little kickboard, and I took Mr. Ratty, and I took him out all wet, and I, I no, I didn't fling him. I set him down in the grass. I didn't have time to just properly dispose of him. And then I got in the pool and did my laps. But I figured the chlorine was strong. I smelled the chlorine. Probably no worse than little boys' bottoms. And uh, I had a dilemma. Am I going to train? So if you see me twitching and whiskers growing out, please send in the spiritual fitness form. And uh, But you know, when we want something, it's amazing what we'll do to go after it to be strong. Let's go after it with our walk with God. Let me just close here with this whole idea about the power of the grace of God. It is pretty gross, but I had a dilemma. And then when my elderly neighbor came by and I told her, hey, there was a rat in the pool, she said, ah, she jumped in, I felt fine, we'll both, we'll both die. You know, this is kind of the last admonition of the whole book. See to it, he says, or he says in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, the grace of God is so powerful. So motivating. How much do you feel God's grace today? How much do you feel God's unmerited favor? You know, I've shared this before. I've Share it again. I think God really likes me. And so should you. I really do. I think He really, really likes me. I think He favors me. He hooks me up all the time. He does you too. It's just all what you're looking at. It's all your attitude. It's all your mindset. It's all your gratitude. It's all you seeing the grace of God or just seeing God never helps me, never hooks me up. Where's, my, where's mine? Remember the parable of the prodigal son? The story wasn't about the one son. It was... Actually, the parable of two sons. Both were lost. And as I read in a book, it said both wanted the father's things, but neither wanted a relationship with the father. And in some ways, the son that stayed home was more lost and more damned than the son that was out there going, I know I am living in rebellion. But the son that was home going, I'm doing what's right and this is what I get. This is how I'm repaid. I got mine coming and this is mine coming. You know, that son was actually in more danger. And that's where a lot of us can sit if we don't guard against it and aren't careful. The grace of God is so powerful. Bitterness is so powerful. It grows up. It causes trouble in you. It causes trouble in your family. It causes, I mean, it just, it's like poison. It's worse than the rat in the pool. Bitterness. And it says a root. It's under the surface. We've got to make sure we deal with our hearts. You know, I appreciate Calvin and Elaine. Been through a lot of hardship over the last six years I've been here. And that we've been close friends. But I appreciate them fighting to be joyful, sacrificial, obedient, humble, 
gracious, fighting to go, I'm staying in the game. I am not a victim. God's still with me. I can handle this with God and with my brothers and sisters. I can still do good. I appreciate it. It inspires me. They're teaching me, hey, this is the attitude I need to have when I'm at their place in life and when I go through things like that. But we can't miss the grace of God. Let me just close with this story. Um, in the 1800s in Siberia, uh, there was a famous writer called Fyodor Dostoevsky. Some of us have writ- read his, what he's written. He's written many, many books. He's long past. But he was put into the Siberian gulags and was lined up as a young man, maybe in his 20s, lined up against the wall to be shot. And as he was lined up, and all the guys are lined up, at it ready! Aim! A horse comes riding in with the white flag. Don't shoot! Peter the Tsar has uh, commuted the sentences. No one's going to be killed. A little bit of a game, huh? Ten years of hard labor in the gulags. Some of the men died shortly after that just from the shock to the body. They just lost it, snapped. Theodore went into the gulags as a young man to slave labor for ten years. And while he was there, two women, nameless women, slipped just the New Testament in his hands and 25 rubles out of just grace, just just kindness. And he read that Bible and he read that Bible and the parable of the prodigal son broke his heart to the point where he got to a point where he got on his knees one day and he says, God, thank you for bringing me to Siberia because it was in Siberia that I found your grace. And it was said, he said this as he got out and got married. One sees the truth more clearly when one is unhappy. He wrote from Siberia. And yet God gives me moments of perfect peace in such moments. I love and believe that I am loved and in such moments I have formulated my creed where in all is clear and holy to me. This creed is extremely simple. Here it is. I believe there is nothing lovelier deeper, more sympathetic, more rational, more manly, and more perfect than the Savior. I say to myself, with jealous love, that not only is there no one else like Him, but there could be no one like Him. And on his bended knees, he thanked God for sending him to Siberia. He got married. He never... That old, that little New Testament, he always had it with him, his tattered prison New Testament. And on his deathbed... You know, he was a little bit older than his wife. And on his deathbed, he had all of his kids come into the room. And he said this as he was dying 15 years later at the anniversary of his wedding. He made us come into the room, his daughter recalled. And he, taking our little hands in his, he begged my mother, read me the parable of the prodigal son. He listened with his eyes closed. And absorbed in his thoughts, he said, my children, in a very feeble voice, Never forget what you've just heard. Have absolute faith in God. And never, ever despair of His pardon. I love you dearly, but my love is nothing compared with the love of God. Listen to what he told him. Even if you should be so unhappy as to commit some dreadful crime, never despair of God. You are His children. Humble yourselves before Him as before your Father. Implore His pardon and He'll rejoice over your repentance as the father rejoiced over that of the prodigal son. Let's take these things to heart. There he is right there. Let's remember 
that God opens the way. But we've got to take that way. And He opens the way for all who are willing to take that path. Thank you.